Welcome, everybody, to the Two Fun Guys podcast. I'm your host, Tony Haddad. I'm your host, Bren Rusga. And today's episode is going to be a super fun one. We have an incredible guest named Joey Roberts. She is the owner of AMC Insiders, and she built her first Amazon business to seven figures within 12 months. She's an absolute legend. She also has a very incredible podcast called The Serious Sellers Podcast, empowering the women of Amazon to grow and learn and become a million times better at what they do. So we're going to dive deep. We're going to learn a lot about how to sell on Amazon, how to do it right, how to build an effective brand. So dive in and we'll see you in. So tell me, when you decided to launch luxury products, how did you do research to find that product? Because you come from a background of marketing with luxury. Yeah, I worked for Callaway Golf and I worked for fine art publishing companies. I worked for, I was in television news, CNN. So yeah, I always like big brands and nice things. I mean, I still like nice things. Yeah. How did you figure out how to even start researching for suppliers? So if you ask me today, how do I do it? It's much easier than in 2020, early 2021, when I was finding my product. At the time, there were tools. Now there's tons of software tools where you can just plug in, hey, I want to make $100 profit, okay, that means it probably retails for 200 or more on Amazon. And you can plug that into, I recommend Helium 10. That's what, what I use. But there's a lot of software that does that. But then when I didn't have the software yet, I started just thinking of contacts I had and using Google and going on Pinterest and, and looking for high-end products. And I waste, not wasted, I spent a lot of time researching and talking to people who manufactured stuff that I may have known or, hey, do you know this person? So I was trying to connect with people. And that educated me, right? Where today you can really just plug it into the software. But back then I was going around and talking to people. I found somebody, two two people actually. One guy was doing a wall, um, kind of like steel wall fabrications where he's like making gates and doors and really intricate, cool things. And I thought, well, that kind of goes along with my wallpaper business. Uh, I think I could sell that, but then I ran into, oh, that's too heavy. And then, so then the requirement came, I have to be able to lift the product. So you just start like ticking these buckets of things that have to be. So said no to him. I actually found another person who was making something interesting. And then I thought, okay, if we change the design a little bit and research who the top sellers are on Amazon, that is a key thing. You need to know who is already selling these products on Amazon. And it's a good thing when people are selling them because you don't want to just put something out that's never been proven to the market. So you think of it in keywords, and you guys know this because you're Amazon sellers. It's like you think in keywords and figure out the market. Well, the product that I decided to sell was in outdoor sports. And there were big names and big players. So all I focused on was making my product look better and be better. And do you guys know how to do that? Yeah. So this is, you're talking about still the luxury product. Yep. Oh, okay. So you launched in sports? Outdoor sports. Outdoor sports. Oh, I And you also sold in the boating industry. Right, you know, boating um, products. A little bit, but not um, not as much. I like dabbled in that mm. a little bit, but yeah, outdoor sports was really like 
the the big hits. Okay. And was there a draw to that category other than like you could find luxury items in that category or like it's how more did you find the that? product. So I think of it more as like you like the product and you can grow the product line and not worry too much on Amazon the exact category that you're gonna fall into. I would think of it more of like what can you grow to be a brand? Mm-hmm. And it's like like by the end, by the time I um, exited that brand, I think there was like 16 products. But only three of them were doing 80% of the sales. Right. What kind of numbers was that brand pulling in at that point when you left? When I left, it was about 1.2 million in the 12 months. Okay. Like from launch. So in 12 months, you had launched, what did you say, 12 products? Yeah, I think that was about, I mean, there are variations. So it's like- right. Yeah, I I would call them ASINs, right? Mm-hmm. Listings, like I had 12 ASINs. Gotcha, okay. And were they all a variation off of that same product or you had like a kind of a product line? No, some were completely Just completely different. different, okay. Yeah, like some of the outdoor sports things like may have fallen under boating and it's kind of like, yeah, if I had spent more time marketing it, maybe it could have um, taken off. But it was also my first year of selling. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to, I probably launched products too quickly. Why do you say that? Because I didn't spend time marketing them, right? I like had these other ones that were taking up all of my time and then, oh, but we were going to launch this product. So let's just launch it anyways. And I could market it. I feel like we're kind of discovering that now we had an investor and we were trying to, he wanted us to launch 13 products and we got halfway through and we realized we need more time to actually push these products and give them energy, focus on restocking inventory and do them justice with building reviews. Um, yeah. What do you recommend? Well, first, when, how did you decide on setting your goal uh, for the first year? And then how does someone who gets into Amazon, like even for us, we're entering our second year. What's a good way of, you know, uh, calibrating your goal? Realistically, you got to work backwards. So if your goal, let's just say, is a million dollars in 12 months, you know, from, you know, October to October of next year, work backwards. Well, how many units would you have to sell per month? How many units per week? How many units per day? And then look at that. Is that realistic for you? What does that kind of budget maybe look like? You already kind of know what your PPC spend is and your Amazon ads. And if you need to say, okay, a million is too aggressive, pull it back. I'm not, I think a million is a great goal. Or you're like, hey, you know what? I think we could do this. We need, maybe we could push it past a million. But then you got to work backwards. Like, what does that take? Does it take influencers? Does it take a bigger marketing budget? Do you need to bring in somebody to manage your PPC? And really just like look at what it takes to go. I mean, part of me didn't want it to be a hobby. It's like, this isn't a hobby. This is a business. And I wanted it to replace what I was doing with wallpaper. And now my wallpaper is my hobby. And my Amazon business is my full-time so at what point did you move into coaching and consulting? Because you're obviously, you help people get from sort of the the beginning stages to selling up to a million, right? Like that, it seems like that's kind of your 
your mission, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I think that's my strong suit, right? Okay. It's coaching you from zero to a million. And then the other coaches on the team can get people, you know, a million to 10 million mm-hmm. or into retail. So the, the team of coaches complements each other. For me, I did AMZ Insiders. That's how I learned to sell. And the reason I joined the coaching program is because I wanted to do it right. And I didn't want to make mistakes. I wanted to not do what I did in 2017 and just give it a shot. And I wanted it to be a business. Like, you know, you get, you guys know, you get your LLC, you get your trademark, you take it serious. And I wanted coaches. Once I was exiting my brand, I was realizing like how wonderful the coaching program was. And that's really why I got from zero to a million so quickly because I had mentors to help me through running out of inventory and all my issues. Jamie Davidson was running the program at the time. The program was going through a transition of owners. And he approached me and asked me if I wanted to coach. And I was like, yeah, I would love to coach. That sounds super fun. And I just exited and I was like writing a book. And then I was like, I was coaching for like six weeks. And then I sent a proposal of how to redo the entire program and how I thought that everything should go. And we discussed, okay, well, maybe then I should actually invest and come on as a partner. And so that's when we made a deal. Cool. It's a big leap from student of the program to possible coach to then partially owning. (laughs) I know. Like, can't I just like hang out and coach? I have to like come in and like run the place. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to do it right. What were some of your daily, weekly habits that you did on your way to a million and then you also recommend sellers doing? I, It's hard, but look at your numbers. It's painful. Look at every dollar going in, coming out. And I'm not great with numbers. I guess I'm good with numbers, but I don't like it. It's not the fun part. Marketing is the fun part and doing the photography and all that, that stuff's the fun part. But what matters is the numbers and what's going in and out and if your supplier is charging you the correct amount. So that's that's a big one, dig into your numbers, but pay attention to exactly what you need need to sell. And if you're not hitting your goals, don't be afraid to get help and ask. Because if you don't hit your your first month goal, okay, fine. You don't hit month 2, 3, Well, then what? You're just like me in 2017 where I just closed it down because I didn't know where to go. So what tools do you recommend to use to track numbers? Like Helium obviously has its own internal tracking. You can make a spreadsheet. Like, Is there a way that you recommend your students to actually track this accurately? You know, getting a bookkeeper to help you is probably the right thing to do, even though I felt so small. It's like, what, what is there to track? But then it was growing very quickly and there was a lot to track. And I used QuickBooks and now I have like a full um, like bookkeeping accountant who does that. But you have to think there's so many costs of goods coming in. There's cost of goods going out and there's just little things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you can keep it in a spreadsheet too, but really getting somebody who understands it and great if you understand it and you can do it yourself. Yeah, that's where we're at, I feel, or, you know a bit overwhelmed with, we know we need to know the numbers, but we're like, who's going to collect them all? And which ones exactly should we be collecting all the time? And then once we get them, what do we do with them? Yeah, I could look at numbers all day and then, and then what? We're like, that's great. (laughs) I mean, we have different skill sets and we love driving it forward, but that is our, 
uh, downfall in that little area. And then for both of you to sit there and look at each other and say, yeah, we should dig into the numbers. Don't you feel like the other person should be doing it? You're like, oh, you didn't do that. No, we're trying to get a, someone to do it. <laughs> no, we do. A- we do look at the numbers. We we also hired a VA to like build this extensive spreadsheet. We're also just we're kind of like babies bumbling around trying to figure it out. So we're pushing forward. We just don't know if we're pushing in the right direction a lot of the time, you know. But that's part of the fun of a business is like you just bump around into stuff until you figure it out. And sometimes you lose some money here and you lose some money there and you waste some time there. But yeah. none of it is really a waste because you're you're learning. We, we kind of had a philosophy, or at least I did. It's just, we'll just make so much money, it will just work itself out. <laughs> but now we realize that's probably a bad strategy. We have a CPA. So would you recommend someone have a separate bookkeeper specifically for Amazon than just overall business and taxes? I would because we're talking about products in and products out. So mm-hmm. first product in, first product out is is how you should be running your books, not oh, well, this batch cost $20 for my supplier and this batch cost 45 No, it's first in, first out. And that's why you need somebody who actually understands like ideally Amazon selling in and out, but at least cost of goods sold because you're not actually getting the, the you have the cost of goods sold, but you're not actually getting any of the money until Amazon releases it to you, which is very different than like, any other business, but even my wallpaper business, right? I collect 50% up front before I even do any work. Hmm. Yes, I'll recommend somebody to you. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can use my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, m- mindset though, for new Amazon sellers, because I, it, it, you know, sometimes uh, you can meet somebody and their first product, they make 10 grand. And then like us, we bought two stores and two years later, we're 60,000 down and our first two products, they're doing okay. And finally we have a couple other coming on that are doing really well. And I imagine if you also don't have a partner or you're not in a group, it can be, it's, it's extremely overwhelming. Yeah. It can be daunting. Yeah. So good mindset for tips for new sellers. Uh, Taking action and just doing it even on the days you don't want to do it. It's easy as an entrepreneur starting your own business to be like, oh, I'll just work on that tomorrow. Nope. Mm-hmm. You got to put it in your calendar and commit to yourself. Don't let yourself down. You don't want to let your friends down or your family down. Why let yourself down? If you say, hey, I'm going to start this Amazon business, you should do it. So what were your daily habits when you were in your first year on your way to $1 million? Um, I obsessed over the business. It was on my mind all the time. I made sure I was working out. And that I cleared at least four hours on my calendar after my kid went to sleep. I mean, having a two and a half year old during COVID with no help and nobody who will come in your house and help you and my husband's working was a terrible time to start a business and I wasn't getting any sleep. So I put in a home gym and I made sure I worked out. And then I thought about the Amazon business a lot. And then I would just, the kid would go down and it sucked, but I would go from like 10 until sometimes two in the morning working on my business. But I will tell you, there was never a day where I was like, oh man, I wish I didn't stay up and do all that product research or wow, I wrote my listing with my keywords, which by the way, you can do with AI now. I didn't even, like if I had had AI, I would have cut all of that in half. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> so it's just putting in the work. It's, I mean, you know, it's like working out, right? You you can't watch a fitness video. Like you have to do the work along with the video and you have to dig in and do it. Yeah. And it sounds like learning to love the work is a key too. Because you can, yes, begrudgingly do work and that will get you somewhere. But I think there's, there's something to learning t- how to actually enjoy the staying up till 2 a.m. or talking to suppliers late at night or hours and hours of product research, how, like actually for some reason, getting some kind of pleasure out of the work that's going into it. Is that kind of what you noticed? Like, was it fun even though it was work? Yeah, Tony, that's a good point. It is fun and it starts to boost your confidence. Like when your suppliers are writing back to you and they're eager to work with you or they're sending you pictures or asking you questions, like, yeah, they become people that you're working with and you think of it as a partner and then it does become fun. It's really fun once you launch your product. Mm. I agree. It's super fun. I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy working on it all the time. I don't think I can not not think about Amazon. No, it's 24 sevens. When we, when we first started too, we had... Reverb. We had like one one product, uh, or we had two that were launched, and we were bored because there was nothing. We were like waiting for stuff to get shipped, and we're sitting there like hands on our lap, like, okay, I wish we had some stuff to do. We really wish we had some stuff to do. And then we kind of manifested, you know, uh, essentially an opportunity where we could launch ten products at one time. And then fast forward six months, we're like. We are swamped. There's so much stuff going on. We don't know what to do. <laughs> and then we didn't even look back in hindsight of like, oh, six months ago, we were bored and wishing we had something to do. Now we have way too much to do. So things can happen very quickly as well in the Amazon space and stuff can change in the blink of an eye. So yeah, it seems like it's just keep pushing forward. When did you sell your business, your, fir- your first brand? March of 2022, I was fully exited your so first was, amazon brand yeah sold okay so that was was that two so 2020 to 2022 well it was like it launched in 2021 so i started looking for products at the end of 2020 and then finally you know went through the process figured out the product got it manufactured launched yeah like march 2021 and how many other brands have you started and sold or and started, yeah. So right after that, I wrote a book. So I sell a book on Amazon, not related to Amazon selling. And then I started a new brand that was um, on women's health. And then I was doing that brand for, I did it because I'm like, I still want to sell. And then about eight months into that brand, I was like, you know what? I got to rebrand this and need to completely gut this whole thing. And so... I still have that brand, but I rebranded it. I changed all the products and I'm just now relaunching everything. So I don't, it's like hard to go through the rationale of why I needed to do it, but I just wasn't connecting to the brand like I wanted to. And I had to process what is wrong with this brand? Why don't I love it? And so I went back and fixed it, which was very different than when I was just hustling with the other products. I loved the products, liked the other brand, but this brand, I was like, I need to like triage it because I threw it up for eight months. I was starting to coach and I wasn't doing it the way I, the way that I envisioned. So now I'm redoing all of it. What are sales like for that current brand? For the current one? Well, I took it down almost to zero, I'd say, when I rebranded. I took everything out, redid the products. And so I just last week got two, three products back up. And then I have another one coming. The packaging design is being redone. 
So I'm having that one redone. It's, I'm, I'm telling the story to you and all I'm hearing is like, am I wasting money? Should I have just like kept it <laughs> how it was? How was it doing before you rebranded? Like took it back down to zero. It was doing fine. It was doing, um, you know, over six figures and it was fine. Uh, I just didn't have the the passion for it that I had envisioned. And it was really because of the branding Hmm. was really it. And I know that sounds crazy, but this is my second brand after I've already built from zero to a million and exited. So this brand was not about the hustle. This brand was about making... Um, taking products for women's health and making them more luxurious and marketing them that way. And I felt like when I launched them at first, I kind of rushed it because I was coaching and building other stuff. I was distracted. And then I thought eight months in, what is not clicking? I was like, I need to go back to my original vision. Well, that's interesting. So do you think it's important there's two ways to sell, right? You can just find products that have a good margin. There's opportunity. The numbers make sense and you launch that. And then there's also this avenue of like having a true love behind the product or some kind of passion. Is there a time and a place to pick either one? Is it like, should you start off just selling products to make money and learn and then go into like a passion project kind of like you did? Or do you think it's smart to start with something you're passionate about so that it keeps you in it and you're not going to give up halfway through? Yeah, good question. It's like I'd love to say, hey, we're all going to have passion and be in love with the products we're selling. But really, my first brand, I was in love with the marketing of it. I was not in love with the product, but the product was phenomenal and it was a good product and I was proud of it. So I'd say number one thing is be proud of what Mm. you're selling. What do you mean you were in love with the marketing? I just loved marketing this high cost product to the outdoor sports crowd, which is mostly men. I see. And I just really enjoyed that part of the marketing. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. I feel like as a new seller or when we first started, we didn't even think about building a brand in the sense of find something and start to build around it. It just seemed too overwhelming. We're just like, give us a product or let's find a product that we think can sell. Yeah. Do you think as a beginner, it's good to begin with a mindset of trying to build a brand or should you just launch a hodgepodge to get some experience? Definitely think of it in the brand perspective. So if you're like this vase that's in front of us, if you're doing home decor, when Christmas comes, you are not also selling, um, you know, Christmas uh, pancake cookie maker things right? It's like you're sticking. I mean, maybe that could kind of cross over. Okay. You're not selling. Here's a better one. You're not selling like uh, pet Christmas dog leashes or like pet things when it's like you are selling home decor. The reason is if your grant, when your brand grows and you want to sell it, the person buying your brand doesn't want to buy just a a flea market of stuff. They want to buy a home decor brand for whatever they're going to do with it, roll it into another brand. And if it's fine when like, it feels fine when you're only making $5,000 a month per product, but when you're making $200,000 a month on these vases and then the dog 
sweaters are making $20,000 a month. Well, now legally you have to separate that out from the brand and then your accountants have to go back and it's going to cost a lot of money when you go to exit. That's a good tip. Do you have any advanced strategies when you're looking at items to find a good product that would be do well on Amazon? Yeah, definitely. I got tons of those. I could talk all day on product research and <laughs> how to find profitable products. The number one thing you need to know is the search volume, the keywords that people are shopping on Amazon. For me, I like a sweet spot of anywhere from 30,000 searches. Uh, below is fine. Maybe like when you get into the 5,000 range, it gets a little lower. Anything, in my opinion, above like 70,000 is going to be a lot more competitive. Like Massage Gun has like, I don't know, like 90,000 searches. And when it's competitive, you're going to have to spend more to advertise and it's harder to stand out from the crowd. So number one is search volume. Look at the keywords. So for the vase, it's like a modern gray vase, right? That might be what somebody's looking for. See how many searches that is. Then from there, when you see the 30,000 searches per month, what is the sales on the, that specific keyword? Is it $10,000 a month on that keyword or is it $2 million a month? Well, hey, if it's $2 million a month and the search volume is 30,000, there is definitely room for you to capture a, a lot of that money per month that is going towards sales in your pocket. If it's lower and it's only $10,000 per month, there's not much money to capture. Would you say, so taking those numbers, say there's a couple sellers with really high reviews, let's say over a thousand, but that search volume is there with a huge amount of gross revenue coming in. Can that bypass people having high reviews? It can. I would definitely look at seller count. Like, are there new sellers that have come in? Are you going up against um, Amazon itself? Is Amazon selling it? Is that why? Are they the ones capturing 80% of the sales? What's happening to the other people? So you want to look at like the full picture, but reviews are definitely intimidating if somebody has like, you know, 40,000 reviews on a product like a massage gun, uh, then it's kind of like, unless you have the newest, coolest, greatest massage gun from the future that AI designed <laughs> then, and a good marketing budget, then it's definitely probably a product you don't want to start with, especially as a new seller. That's great because we just launched a product and I think the top keyword's 50,000. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Do you know what the monthly sales volume is? Uh, for the top couple sellers, and there's like two guys that are doing, what is it, seven to eight hundred thousand. Uh, but everybody else, I mean, there's still plenty of room. Like, there's a lot of sellers that. So we started reviews are like four, the top end reviews are at four hundred. So it's yeah. it's like that's just fine. it's new, it's just blooming. Yeah, that's great. And we, and we saw it a couple months ago and and went with it, and there was nobody there. Now like there's a couple people popping up, which is a good sign. Yeah, and even the new people that got there like a week before us are already doing. And some crazy looking Chinese seller uh, listings that can easily be taken out. Yes, yeah. Everybody gets nervous about the Chinese sellers, but we can outsell them. Mm -hmm. That's good. Congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. What are other tips for researching products? I would look at margin. 
So for me, I don't get excited about making $5 per product. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't leave a lot of room for advertising or mistakes. So for me, the lowest I would recommend anybody starting to sell a product for retail on Amazon would be lowest, like around $20. You know, and it's okay if you launch at $15 and your goal is to get to $25. That's different. I'm just saying you don't want to launch a product that is too low, like a $5 product, because then you're just going to be going for volume. Mm -hmm. And then you got to be ordering, you know, thousands and thousands from your supplier. And it gets you into this like very high volume, very low margin. To me, that's a, a don't do. Like try to look for something that is at least going to have minimum, in my opinion, 25% margin. Some people will say 15% and businesses sell and on Amazon and uh, aggregators buy businesses that are doing 15% margin. But I just say per product, try to keep it above 25%. Okay. Can you describe also how aggregators actually work? Yeah, sure. So the aggregator, I know it was like 2021, the aggregators, that word became like huge mm-hmm. and they come in and they're just buying up all of, not all, a lot of Amazon businesses in specific categories. So like the pets category was big then, babies was big, I think outdoor sports was big. But what they do is they're they're called aggregators because they are buying multiple Amazon brands. So they'll buy your brand, my brand, and, you know, somebody else's brand and put it under their portfolio. So now they have all these brands that they're running and then their team actually runs the Amazon brand once you exit or you stay on for a certain amount of time and they negotiate your your payout. They're not the only people buying Amazon businesses, but they it made it this kind of hype around, hey, you can get anywhere from five to seven to eight multiples on your brand in 2021. It's not like that now. Is it lower now? Yeah, it's it's lower now. Um, I would say three to five times is what we're hearing. Why was it so high then? Was it just hype, like it was a new thing, and then they realized they were giving out too much money? Or like, what caused the dip? I think it was demand that there was these aggregators. I don't know exactly where they all came from, but to me, it sounds like investment banking world come in. They have a lot of money. And if you buy all of the, I mean, it's a good idea, buy all of these Amazon brands that are cranking out, uh, you know, millions of dollars each year and put it in your portfolio. So a lot of them came around. Now there's some big names from that from back then that aren't even around anymore and aren't buying anymore. And I don't know if they I'm assuming they gave their portfolio brands that they purchased and like sold it to another aggregator or maybe combined with them. Super interesting. I do have a question on scaling. I imagine you coach a lot of people that come across problems with scaling when it comes to ordering larger amounts of inventory. Do you have creative ways of allocating funds? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, for inventory. (laughs) How do you find money? Yeah. Well, if you don't have a cash 
flow problem, then your business probably isn't growing, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, no matter how I much like money you're making, you have a cash flow problem, especially with Amazon because they typically, you know, don't pay you for two weeks. So yes, they're, a, they're over the past couple of years are funding companies that as long as your business is making... I, I don't know, somewhere around $100,000 or pr have has proven to make or sell. Don't quote me on this. I'm not a banker. But somewhere, like, there's some thresholds. So you have to have some proven sales, and they will give you money towards inventory. The per sales or per sales per month or per year? They want to see 100000 I think just total. Oh, okay. I don't know if it was, like, two years or just total. Like, at some point, you had to have hit hmm. at least that mark. I don't know if it could be over 10 years. I'd be like, what have you been doing? <laughs> but like, like, yeah, at least like proven sales and then you can get money for inventory. But for me, it was credit cards and it was painful, but this comes back to being able to forecast properly. Mm -hmm. Like if I wanted to write a check for $50,000 for inventory, well, you only have to pay what 20% of that up front. And then I have to forecast, well, will I be able to pay that when the landed goods come off the ship from China? How risky do you think you were with credit cards? Like, would you just open a card? I know it, it, there was forecasting involved, but did you ever like max out a card and then be like, well, I'm out. Time to open up another one, open up another one. No, or, or were you like kind of like, uh -uh. you're just with one and then pay it off and then load it up again? Yeah, I have a hard time carrying a balance on a credit card. Okay. I'm one of those people that like looks at it all the time and just keeps paying off my balance. Mm -hmm. So no. And I started with a little bit of inventory. And y'all, I ran out of inventory five times. Like I was never ordering enough inventory <laughs> because I was like, you know, I wanted to spend this big money and sell all this, but I was also like, ooh, there's a credit card bill. <laughs> 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 so I, I think looking back, when I was going through the numbers, I left about $80,000 on the table for being out of inventory. Wow. Like the weeks that I wasn't selling. So, yeah. Wow. That's intense. It is. Yeah. Do you, would you have done anything differently in hindsight? Like, would you have just said, send it on the credit card and bought the inventory? Or are you happy you did it that way? I think I probably would have used an inventory management software to help me manage inventory better because I was so worried about the money and the funds. Like, can I pay for this? Are we going to have this? When is the money coming? That I didn't think, okay, you know, the next three months I'm going to sell 3000 Like I didn't have that forecast in the inventory. I was just forecasting the money and me being a crazy marketing person I would go all out on marketing. And then, I don't know, maybe it was a confidence thing too, but I would go all out on marketing. And then I'd run out of inventory, like, you know, like Father's Day. I ran out of inventory five days before Father's Day because I marketed the out of it, you know, <laughs> and I should have had inventory management. So there are great tools out there to help you manage your inventory. Hmm. Okay. Like softwares? Yeah. Yeah. So stocked is a really good inventory management system. Chelsea Cohen. She actually lives in Austin too, if y'all want to, you know, pick her brain. Hell yeah. So that that's one way to track. What else? Money. Um, You're talking about like credit no, cards? No, inventory. Oh, inventory. 
spreadsheets. I had everything in spreadsheets. Obviously, that kind of failed me, though. Um, yeah, I could. I, I'm thinking of all my mistakes I made. Well, you're like, how could I track software? Mistakes are also good because that that teaches people even more than than the wins. Yeah, it taught me so much. I wasn't tracking. I would. I, I had so many sales going out and so much customer service coming in and things I was worried about that I wasn't keeping my spreadsheets up to date. And it was on a spreadsheet. That's how I was tracking it. Like what's going in, what's going out. And then Amazon with FBA will tell you how much inventory you have. But I also switched on FBM, Fulfilled by Merchant, because I couldn't get stuff out fast enough. Mm. And I oversold by like 50 units at one point. And Amazon shuts you down if you oversell and you don't have the product to ship to a customer. It's like like really easy way to get kicked off Amazon and they keep your money. They're not like, oh, here's all your money. Thanks for trying. Like it, I had a crazy panic attack. I was going to sit in my car and cry. And I was like, I don't have time to cry. I have to pull together 50 units that are somewhere in China that might get here in five months. Like how am I going to save this entire business and not have 50 people want to and this was around the whole father's day i think it was father's day that 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 i did this and it was like horrifying big big lesson and you think i would have learned from that experience but i ran out of inventory like four more times after that we had a, a similar experience with getting switched to fbm where we um we did a file upload to make a change and it somehow switched us from FBA to FBM. But at the same time, an influencer organically, we didn't send this to them. They found our product and posted about it and they had like 800,000 followers. And so we sold so we like, what are we five X or daily sales? We just sold so much of this particular product. And most of the sales came in on FBM and Amazon's like, order came in, order came in, get ready to ship, get ready to ship. And you're like, like what's we this? We don't have any of this. <laughs> what do you want us to do with this? And then, yeah, of course you call Amazon and they don't, they don't help. They're like, well, figure it out. <laughs> like I, I, ship it to them. Yeah. We were like, oh God, please stop the roll. What'd you do? I think you flipped it and I, I switched it back to FBA. And then, so then the sales continue to come in as FBA. But what you had to do was like, you can't cancel it from from our end. Uh-huh. Otherwise, Amazon right. says, you know, your cancellation rate goes up and then they, f- you know, fine you or whatever. So we have to reach out to each person individually and ask them to cancel their order and then remake it. And half the people didn't even do it or even read. I was wondering it. if you went in and just ordered it, for, drop shipped it basically to them from Amazon, like ordered it and sent it. You would have lost. Um, the fees. So, yeah, there would have, you would have gotten double Mm. fees, but hey, you would have saved it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But also there was no inventory because we sold out on in FBA also. Yeah. For when, so when you were launching the product for the Father's Day gift, you, you said you really pushed hard on marketing. What were some of those marketing strategies you really like to use? So keywords, right? The keywords on Amazon to find your product. Well, you also want to do that on Google. Mm. So I went big on Google for Father's Day gifts, like the keyword Father's Day gifts, and Facebook ads, Instagram. I keep bringing up Pinterest. And you guys know what Pinterest is? Mm-hmm. Pinterest is great. There are men on there, but for anything with gifts, 
like women go on there and put in like Father's Day gifts, Father's Day gifts for the dad who has everything, things like that. And when they're long tail keywords, which means it's like Father's Day gifts for the dad who has everything, they're closer to making a purchase. So Mm. 30% of searches for shopping start on Google. So you want to put long tail keywords, especially on Google, so your products will pop up for people who are more likely to convert. So you're spending less money on advertising because you're getting those long tail keywords. And I did a couple YouTube influencers. I didn't have a lot of money for influencers, but I wanted to play in the field. And so for for this and for dads, I thought that YouTube was good. So there's like four, three or four YouTubers. That's really interesting. Do you run ads on Instagram and TikTok or were you just saying influencers? Are you you just Oh, I ran ads on Facebook and Instagram and then used influencers on YouTube. And then, yeah, I haven't done anything really for that product. TikTok wasn't even around much. And now TikTok, you can, can you run, you could, oh, they have the shoppable, shoppable stuff Mm -hmm. coming for TikTok. Yeah. Look into that. I'm not doing that right now. I ran one ad and I had no idea what I was doing. It's kind of like the PPC setup, Okay, but I, I have no idea what's happening. Or like it spent $5. I don't really know what it does. Um, yeah. And today. Tony just set up a Pinterest because yeah. of your episode. Sorry. Ironic, Good. yeah, set up yes. the Pinterest, yeah. Great. So I have a lot of questions around Pinterest, but yeah, yeah. go ahead. We can unpack Pinterest. Let's do it. Yeah, well, so you mentioned the long tail keywords, putting that in the back end. So what I figured out was you take, like I Google searched the keywords and then I put those uh, also searched for keywords that yeah. Google gives you. And I put that into the back end of the Pinterest keywords. Or like, Yeah, the, I think that's is, great. Okay. You can also put hashtags. Oh, really? Which sounds so like 2022. Mm-hmm. But yeah, on Pinterest, uh, you can put hashtags on the description part too. What I like to do, and I haven't shared this tip with anybody, is when exclusive you're- two, two, Exclusive two tip. Podcast, yeah, exclusive. Let, pay attention yeah. right now. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> When you're on Pinterest and you're just typing in like, um, like, let's talk about this vase again. Like you're just typing in for the vase. Look at what the top pins are that are shoppable that you want to compete with and look at their description and see what their hashtags are. And I just copy their stuff Mm. and then I put it on mine because I'm like, hey, if they're at the top, I need to be like next to them or above them. Mm -hmm. And then you can run ads too. On, on Pinterest. On the Pinterest, oh, yeah. Cool. So you'll you'll have it. And if you look, um, Amazon's doing it. And Amazon's running its own ads to products. And so theirs will pop up. And they always have their photography, which is the same photography you're using in your listing anyway. So just put that on Pinterest. And then, yeah, just go crazy with the keywords. So does that show up? I assume it's kind of like Instagram where even if you have zero followers on Pinterest, it's a brand new account, your hashtags and backend keywords is what allows people to search for it. So you have no followers, you can still get people to see. You can. Yes. You do want to be on influencers boards. So you can reach out to influencers who have bigger followings and boards and people like them and try to get onto their boards. And yes, with your boards, if nobody's following it, you might want to run a little bit of an of an ad or okay. put some spend behind it. Got it. Okay. So reach out to influencers, get them to put your stuff in their board. Is there like an incentive you give them or you're like, here's a free product? 
How do you like to do it? I like to ask them how they work with brands. I'm just like... Put the ball in their court. Yeah. Hey, I think you'd be a really good fit for my brand. I have this product. I sell it on Amazon. How do you work with brands? You work with brands on Amazon and start the conversation there. Cool. All right. And how do you find Pinterest influencers? You like find the biggest... I don't know. I feel like it's kind of different from from uh, Instagram. Yeah. It's still the same kind of stalking. Okay. You find them. Find <laughs> we know them. nothing about Pinterest. <laughs> now you do. Now we do. Thanks to Joey. <laughs> yeah. I, I try to find people on LinkedIn too, or on Instagram or on Facebook, even if they were on Pinterest and see where you can message them. I message them in a couple different places. Some will even say, hey, for collab, send me an email. And that's really helpful because then you know they're open to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today I shipped out eight different products to different influencers. Nice. And we're not, I'm not going to utilize them, but I want them ready because I know you got to have inventory, which we learned. Um, but I just want to be able to reach out when the time's right strategically and see if they like the product. And then if they just naturally just post it or uh, maybe they're more willing to make a deal because they've already sent the product. So I'm just trying to, I'm also trying to have us have a, a web that's ready to send other products to uh, when we're ready. Yeah, I think it's just being a human and being nice and mm-hmm. just trying to have that conversation and not be like, hey, I'm going to give you a free product and can you give me all this in return oh, no, and no, your no. firstborn, right? It's like, no, we're all nice. We're all humans. Like, let's just see if we can collaborate together. So let them keep their firstborns. Don't take those. Yeah, you're like, That's I don't even want a babysit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stay in on weekends. Oh, man. Yes. All right, we got a little time left, but I want to dive into PPC. So your thoughts on continuing through your Amazon journey to run your own PPC? Do you ever hand it off at some point? I think you need to understand it enough so that you know where your money is being spent. And if you can understand it enough, your exact key word matches, your broad and your phrase match, and your brand analytics of what keywords are converting. If you can understand all of that and where the money's going, and you still decide, hey, I don't want to do this or manage it myself, then by all means, hand it off to somebody. But you have to manage that person. Mm -hmm. That's why you need to understand it. Yeah. I feel like that's with most things in business. Like, Don't hire an accountant until you at least kind of understand the basics of it, but still don't have to do it all. Yeah, exactly. But PPC, people get intimidated and they're like, I'm just going to hire somebody to do Mm -hmm. it. And then it's like, there's a management fee. It's usually like a thousand or so dollars a month. Mm -hmm. And then maybe some percentage. And then you still don't understand what they're doing. And then you get frustrated and mad at them. So should your PPC, should should you be consistently hitting a certain A cost before you can say to yourself, all right, I get it enough to pass it off? Or is it more of an internal, like, I get it even though I'm fluctuating with? Yeah, I would say I could sit here and adjust every single day if I, (laughs) I mean, you learn, right? If I crank my spend way up, oh, I just messed up my ACOS. And you learned, like, sometimes throwing more money at it isn't the right thing. But hey, if I had put more money at these specific keywords and less money or negative keywords at the bottom and my A cost held steady, then it's like, do you still want to do this yourself or 
you want to go to somebody else with a goal of improving your ACOS for you and you set the goal with them and explain to them what you've already done. That's just how I I look at it because the number one frustration Amazon sellers have who don't understand their PPC is they're mad at their PPC manager, right? Yeah, ouch. Uh, with PPC, I feel like we're figuring it out. We're understanding it uh, more and more. But then there's weeks where we feel like we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Is that normal? It is normal. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it's like worth it to maybe invest in a, you know, a few PPC lessons. Mm-hmm. And oh, we've done that. Yeah, we've been doing that. <laughs> yeah, I think we get it to a degree. Yeah, but we're getting close to the point where we might want to outsource because we understand. But yeah, then those moments pop in where you're like, "All right, yeah, our ACOS was good, but now all of a sudden it's like ninety for the week. Like, how did we get here?" I think we're a little bit traumatized from our first product that just it doesn't. The top sellers don't really make that much. The keywords don't have a lot of search volume, and we're just scraping. Yeah. The barrel with these keywords trying to pump something out that's not there, but it's traumatized us a little bit. So (laughs) totally. And you can interview PPC managers. And another thing you could do to just have somebody work alongside you before you jump with an agency is you can get a VA who understands it and can do it with you and you can like dig in and manage it with them. And that's in a way a lower cost way to do it. Or if you're feeling ready to just dive into an agency, I would interview a bunch of them. That's a good tip. So maybe start with like a VA on Upwork. Yeah. Just work with them. Well, I guess the the concern there that I'm sure a lot of other sellers have is like, how how can we make sure that this VA maybe from another country is actually really good at PPC? Like, why would they be better than? Yeah, it's like how us? good a, good a, you are you at hiring people too? Right, that like true because they become part of your team. Like we've had yeah. a VA on our team for like five years. That is, you know, she's like part of the family, and so we let her do everything. Um, there are VAs that are trained specifically for Amazon, and I do feel like. If you're in there and you're doing it with them and talking through it or asking them what they would do mm-hmm. and you're only paying them, a, you know, five, ten dollars an hour, it's low risk to to get in and learn with them. But if you're at the point where you can just jump in to a PPC management company and you f- want to do that, do that. I would just weigh all your options. Cool. Will do. Well, Joey, thank you so much. That was Super informative for us and for all the other listener. Listener, we have one probably. One. Our one, <laughs> one listener. Person. Thank you, listener, for tuning in. <laughs> um, where can listener find you? Learn more about you. Oh, great! Yes, you can check me out at www.amzfearless.com. So you can look, also tune into my podcast, Fearless Sellers. It's on that link also, and then Instagram. I love chatting on Instagram. It's joeyroberts.official. Yeah, guys, check her podcast out. I'm uh, very judgmental of podcasts, and it is very well done. Thank you. You do a very good job. I'm impressed. Mm -hmm. I put love into it, just like you guys do into this. Every morning, I go to the sauna, and I listen to an episode. Yeah, it's been our ritual. Because they're they're perfect. They're like digestible bites. They're not soup. I think you have some long form, but they're usually like 12, 15 minutes. I try to do the Friday uh, 15 minutes of Fearless, just a quick, like, here's some coaching for Fridays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're perfect. 
Thank you. Thanks so much for being here, Joey. Thank you, Joey.